Welcome to Deuteronomy study number 8, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 20. As we get into our study with the Hillbilly Hala, going out to Brother Mike Halstead. Brother Mike is a Hillbilly Hala, and uh, he's, a, I think, a newer listener. Um, but uh, if you don't know what our Hillbilly Hollers are all about, I'm a transplanted Hillbilly, and I just want to say... Howdy to some of you folks out there listening. Some of you have been listening for a good long while. Others of you might be newer, uh, but we appreciate every one of you. And so we start our study now with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, helping us uh, to understand your word with your Holy Spirit, with uh, the King James Bible that we never want to take for granted. We are so thankful for that book. We thank you for all those who have taught us in the past and that we'd all be humble before your word, teachable. We love your word. And we love the living word, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and ask and give thanks for all these things in his precious name. Amen. So uh, after restating the Ten Commandments back in chapter 5 and so forth, Moses uh We'll now go into what we might call the revised code in the next, starting in the next chapters. Um, it doesn't mean that he's changing the uh, commandments, but that God will now help us apply those commandments, us being the Hebrews under Mosaic law at this point. But God does that with his word. He gives us his commandments, but then the rest of his word is helping us to apply his truth to our lives and that's the really the practical point behind these next uh, number of chapters but uh, also for legal purposes you know we're thankful that um, he's given us this to explain some things for example in uh, chapter 5 verse 17 as was also stated Exodus 20:13. He gave the commandment, thou shalt not kill. I constantly run across people, or on a regular basis run across people who think that that's a statement against uh, war, and it's against uh, capital punishment, executing murderers and people like that. But God will explain the application, as we're going to see, and it doesn't include self-defense. It doesn't include killing in time of war. It doesn't uh, forbid governments from executing the guilty for capital crimes. Now, um, in American jurisprudence and law, uh, we have a ton of this sort of stuff, but it's gone so overboard that it's impossible. I mean, I'm not just exaggerating and using that as a, uh, a kind of a hyperbole. It is impossible for anybody to know what all of our revised codes and everything say. On the other hand, this is not like that. It is lengthy. There is 613 separate specifics <laughs> given as uh, the full commandments based on those Ten Commandments. Um, but compared to modern uh, law and everything, it's, that's tiny, that's minuscule. And it's doable. You can read all that and learn all that. Many have, even Orthodox Jews to this day, still learn that stuff. Um, but with that introduction, let's... Uh, get into this chapter which is sort of a preamble to that revised code that we're going to see in future studies Lord, if the Lord tarries and leaves us here. Uh, 
Um, he's going to recount God's goodness and then warn against backsliding and disobedience. Uh, as we begin in verse 1, it says, All the commandments which I command me, thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. Um, obedience would result in good health, peace, and prosperity for the Hebrews. Now, we're not necessarily promised like they are. Uh, we do benefit, though, from living according to God's Word in this dispensation. We're not under Mosaic law, but uh, even now, if you live according to God's Word, uh, nine times out of ten, you're going to live a long, healthy life. Sadly, though, a lot of Christians are murdered, martyred, killed, imprisoned, and so forth, um, even though they're living the way they ought to. Um, that wasn't the case during times of Israel until they went into apostasy and that's when it got bad but they were to remember and teach their history of God's deliverance verse 2 and thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee to know what was in thine heart whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no so it's a test life is a test uh, verse 3, And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know uh, that man, that, uh, I'm sorry, that he may make, might, I'm got to read it right, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Easy for me to say. But you think about it, God literally rained bread from heaven, <laughs> uh, manna. And those are the Lord's own words in uh, Exodus 16:4. Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. The psalmist also said this in Psalm 105:40. The people asked, and he brought quails and satisfied them with the bread of heaven. Then fast forward to the coming of Christ when he fulfills all the types and shadows and fulfilled the law itself. And Jesus declared himself to be the fulfillment of the type or shadow that manna was to present. In John 6:32, then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. And so Jesus also quoted the last half of this verse that I had trouble reading. <laughs> when rebuking Satan, as we read in Matthew 4, verses 3 and 4, when Satan was tempting him in the wilderness after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, it says, and, uh, when the tempter came to him, this is Matthew 4, verses 3 and 4, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Where was it written? Deuteronomy 8, 3. So back to our text, you'd think that bread from heaven, I mean, you wake up every morning and you have bread from heaven, sent from heaven. Imagine how good that tasted. Uh, and it, you'd think it would constantly remind the people of Israel of God's presence and uh, provision. And that's not all. Uh, verse 4, it says, 
Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Now, I've had shirts that lasted several years and shoes that lasted nearly ten years, but I didn't wear them every day. Um, any clothing worn every day would wear out in a year or two, and that's even uh, some of the... Now, I, I did buy a pair of boots that I wore a lot and wore for more than ten years. That's not forty. <laughs> I can't imagine that. Uh, I think a lot of our clothing would just kind of dry rot and crumble after about 20 years. I know somebody's going to write me and tell me there's an exception, but you know what that exception does? Proves the rule. That tells us that it's very unlikely that this would happen for an entire nation of several million people. But... Uh, uh, Keep in mind also that they walked a long way during that time. Verse 5 says, Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. So God loves his people, the people of Israel, even though they're pain in the neck, they're murmurers, they're backsliders, they drive him crazy, but he wants to love them. And he loves them enough to chasten them. Proverbs 13, uh, 24, we uh, went in our devotional uh, Proverbs discussed this, but it says, He that spareth his rod hateth his son, but he that loveth him chasteneth him betimes. That doesn't mean abuse. It's not talking about beating him to a pulp. But uh, uh, the rod, a belt, a paddle, um, I don't like switches. Some of you tell me that you don't think there's any problem with it. Um, I don't didn't I never used a switch on my kid. They leave whelps, and it's just uh, they can leave permanent marks. I mean, um, I'm just not for that. But uh, the Bible talks about a rod. That's not a switch, and it wouldn't leave permanent marks unless you were abusive. But if you spare your children um, being whacked on the rear end or on the hand or something fitting. You take a, a ruler and smack them. That can be abusive too. You have to use common sense. But it, if you don't do that, then it, it says you hate them. And uh, I won't name names, but uh, there have been a few people in my life who think they're smarter than God. And they're causing their children to have behavioral issues, which lead to what we call mental health issues. And a lot of the people with so-called mental health issues today it was abuse or neglect. And that and neglect includes not legitimately chastening your children with a rod. Uh, that's God's word on it. It's not my opinion. I submit my opinion to uh, him. I wouldn't have beat my kids. I wouldn't have spanked them or anything probably if it wasn't for God telling me to. Hebrews 12, 5 and 8 says, And Ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Um, God chastens us, and he, that's how we know he is our Father. 
if you or someone else is professing Christian living in sin and you're not being chastened, that's bad. Bad news. That means you're uh, not saved. You're not one of God's children. And of course, think of that in practical terms. If you're not chastening your child, you're not willing to spank them in a legitimate manner, then you're treating them as though they're not even your child. You're, you're not loving them. You're treating them like bastards that you don't really care about. God is a good father, and he does chasten. He doesn't want to, um, and that's why he urges uh, obedience. Look at verses 6 through 9. Therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Verse 7, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees. Turn off that. And pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey. Look at verse 9, A land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, Thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. In other words, there's really no excuse for rebellion. You hear people today saying, oh, well, poverty is the cause of crime. Um, that's not a good excuse. And, uh, you know, my family went through the Great Depression, and uh, we didn't have a bunch of criminals. Now, um, and two or three examples I know of where there was some crime committed in our family history, going back way before I was born, but knowing from my parents, my mom especially, did a lot of that genealogy study and has told me some things. Um, and we don't try to legitimize it by saying, well, they were poor. <laughs> um, but this land that the Jews are going to go into is like a tropical paradise, a land of plenty with a dose of minerals and gorgeous landscape to boot. And so the Lord explains what's expected of the Israelites in the promised land. Verse 10, he says, When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the land, for the good land <laughs> which he hath given thee. A person demonstrates a right heart toward God by demonstrating gratefulness. The Thanksgiving holiday is a great precedent that those Puritans. Uh, set for future generations. Um, I'm not a big fan of the Puritans. A lot of people are. I'm glad, I believe there were a lot of good saved people among them, but I don't believe all of them were saved. I think there were a lot of bad people among the Puritans. They were legalists who just liked to control people. Some of those Puritans persecuted Baptists or any non-Puritan, even condemning some to banishment so that they died. They were basically murderers. Um, they were hardcore Calvinists. They replaced Israel with the church and had this whole misconstrued idea of what America was supposed to become and so forth. But with that said, <laughs> they had the first Thanksgiving and uh, then later uh, Freemason, who I don't have any basis to believe was saved. I hope he was, but George Washington declared a Thanksgiving nationally. Again, later, uh, presidents did, and Abe Lincoln uh, did the same. I have no ba reason to believe Abe Lincoln was a saved man, but they were Christian theists, as at least, even if not born-again believers in the gospel. And they did a great thing for the American people and for our society and our culture by showing thanksgiving to God. 
you'll see people on Thanksgiving, they'll go out on the streets and interview them with the microphone and say, you know, who are you giving thanks to? And they'll say, oh, uh, everybody, everything. I don't know. I'm just thankful. A very, a very small percentage of people on the street that have been interviewed in these things know that it's a day to give thanks to God. <laughs> we should thank the Lord uh, 365 days a year, not just Thanksgiving. Um, we should thank the Lord when we wake up in the morning and ask for His blessing and strength just to get through the day. We should thank Him before uh, we eat our food, before every meal. We should thank the Lord when we lay our head down at night for all that He did for us that day and what He brought us through. And I'm preaching to myself as much as anybody right now because sadly, I fail to do this all too often. I'm pretty good about praying over meals. I mean, I don't really remember very many that I've missed praying over. Um, and I'm better in the morning. I get up and I think about the fact that I didn't get raptured, but I'm, I try to be thankful and tell the Lord I'm thankful for being able to get out of bed and the home I have and the wife I am blessed with and all the people and the ministry and so forth and so on. I count my blessings. It could take all morning if I did that thoroughly. But when I lay down at night, I mean, that's where I really don't, um, I, I, I miss it because I'm usually I'm about to pass out by the time I lay down. But try to do that. I'm, um, you know, uh, we should all, you know, put forth the effort to do better. Um, because if we become ungrateful, then that's when we start to fall away from the Lord. And that's why then um, he warns Israel, beginning verse 11 through 14. Let's lead, read these verses. Beware um, that thou forget not the Lord thy God. If you stop being thankful, it's, that's like you're forgetting him. Um, and then what happens? In not keeping his commandments and his judgments, that's what it leads to, and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Verse 12, Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein. Verse 13, And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all that thou hast is multiplied. And I think it's fitting that a lot of our automobiles and things are named after herds and flocks. The Mustang is a horse, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but verse 14, Then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee out, forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And as I already explained, most Americans, I believe, have totally become thankless toward God. Uh, and history has demonstrated, sadly, that Prosperity usually ends up producing a bunch of ingrates. Um, uh, our founding fathers and forefathers before us have sacrificed and fought and worked, and uh, now the thankless generations of the last few decades are squandering it, and America is on life support as a constitutional republic as a result. Uh, we the Americans, by and large, become unthankful. They become proud and self-centered and arrogant. Pretty much, that's the typical American today. So God reminds Israel of what He's already done for them, that they ought to be thankful um, for all this that He's done throughout their history. So that's what we read in verse 15 through 17. Who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of Flint. Verse 16, Who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. Verse 17, And thou say in thy heart, thine heart, 
my power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. And there you go. Um, that was the attitude that led into the apostasy of Israel. It's the attitude of the typical American today leading us into apostasy. And what I mean by that is, the, you know, the liberals, I mean, they're gone. But among conservatives even, just yesterday I turned on Newsmax and th this video had a portion of a speech by Ronald Reagan, patriotic music and various video clips. And it was basically what verse 17 says. They were saying that Americans, American power and might, hath gotten me us this wealth called America. Um, and it was, uh, you know, Reagan's speech, but to his credit, I know for a fact that Reagan said some of those things, but he always turned and gave God the credit. And in this video, they did. They cut that part out. If uh, I'm sure that Reagan said that at some point in his speech. I'm sure. I've read his speeches. I know he, he almost always, I say almost just because I might have missed one or two there, but all the speeches I read when Reagan talked about American greatness, he gave God credit and thanks. But in that video produced by some conservatives at Newsmax, didn't mention it. And I see this all over the place. I see it on conservative groups and websites and everything, and everybody talking about American pride. We've talked about that before. And uh, how great Americans are. You know, well, if there's, you want to say Americans are great because of our God, that's fine. But you don't hear that very many times, very often. So, um, what I see is that America is going the way of Israel when Israel went into apostasy. And how's that? Israel became arrogant. It's again, I harp on this. Um, some people might say I'm angelic because I'm always harping. But I harp on this stupid self-esteem, self-love thing that's killing people, literally, and killing churches. And uh, you adopt that stuff, it's anti-biblical, and you go downhill from there as soon as you adopt that. I am nothing. I deserve to be in hell. Christ is everything. Christ in me is the only reason I do anything that is worth noting, and that then means he gets all of the praise and the glory. And if every Christian had that attitude, it would change things drastically. Um, but as we learn that lesson, uh, we also see God's admonition to Israel as we close out the chapter. We pick up at verse 18, and Americans would do well to pay attention. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. Israel has the Mosaic covenant. Our covenant with God is not like this with Israel, but our founders did consecrate themselves and their nation to God. And so we close out uh, this chapter. We can see Israel's foolishness when they look at um, their own country. And we look at our country, whether we're American, Canadian, British, or any other nation, and more and more conservatives are openly atheist, agnostic, Hindu, like Ramaswamy, Buddhists, Mormons like the Glenn Becks and folks like that, various lukewarm nominal types of Christians like Tucker Carlson, people like that. Um, 
and the left is downright satanic. So we can already see how God's going to respond to America. Uh, verse 19, And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish. Every nation on earth today replaced some other nation. That nation perished because of wickedness and God put another people in there. And many like Israel and America replaced godless heathen with at least some form of biblical theism. And just as the Canaanites perished before Israel entered the land and eventually established the kingdom of Israel, and just as the so-called Native Americans perished before the Europeans entered the North American continent and eventually established the United States and Canada, God warns in verse 20, As the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. God did that when he brought Babylon down and, and destroyed the kingdom of Judah, brought Assyria down before that, destroyed the kingdom of Israel, did it again after they crucified the Messiah in 70 AD, and totally destroyed Israel. They were scattered around the world and then ended up uh, being reunited for these last days and became a nation in 1948, just in time for the final seven years of Mosaic law in the dark ages known as Daniel's 70th week. So um, after the rapture, I believe America will be ended. America as we know it will be over, and it'll be because of wickedness. And uh, we're going to have to leave off there. We don't have the time to get into detail about that. We've talked about it other times. We'll talk about it again if the Lord tarries, and see you next time.